Okay, now I think all of our problems are solved. I hope I didn't just jinx myself by saying as much. But I think I've got everything sorted out now. So, thank you for your patience. If you're still sticking around, if you just joined us, welcome. We are... Um, normally, we would be playing Dungeons & Dragons at this time of day. However, we've got uh, a few of our players are not feeling well. They're under the weather. So once again, Mike, Elena, I hope you guys feel much better. And I hope uh, that you guys can rejoin us soon. So uh, lots of stuff going on today. Lots of stuff going on in the wonderful world of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so I wanted to go into that a little bit, and I wanted to do a little bit of live design. So that took a little bit longer than I had hoped. Very sorry for the late start. But we're going to dive into it here momentarily. So in case you've been living under a rock or don't follow Dungeons & Dragons, uh, in which case, thanks for coming here anyway. Um, There was some big news this week. Sorry, I'm telling the chat to refresh. Uh, there was some big news this week that they opened up a new setting. So when 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons first came out, the only setting that was available for play was Forgotten Realms. And that also was the only setting that was available for development on the Dungeon Masters Guild, which is a community driven site that allows people to create content using Dungeons and Dragons rules and IP and then they sell it and get a little bit of the profit as well. So it's really cool. It lets the community be a part of uh, generating new content for Dungeons and Dragons. So it's very exciting. And over time, like as Curse of Strahd came out, they opened up Ravenloft to be used at the Dungeon Masters Guild. But now this last Monday, they released the uh, Guide to Eberron. The, let me make sure I'm not misnaming it. It is the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. And it's super cool. I really dig it. Uh, I have not had the chance to really delve deep into it. Uh, but at first glance, it looks pretty dope. So... Since we're running a game that's, you know, set in Eberron, I thought uh, this would be a good opportunity to sort of make sure that our stuff is in line with what they're doing on the official, well, semi-official release. It's still in playtesting. And maybe add some stuff in. And maybe we'll have a new Eberron product by the time this is all said and done. So uh, once again, I can't thank you enough for your patience with the technical issues. I know if you're listening to the podcast, you probably won't notice any of those. Um, which also reminds me another little announcement I wanted to make is that we have now set up at uh, anchor.fm both Calculated Risks and Extreme Drawus to be distributed as podcasts. So... You can get them now at anchor.fm. I think they're both on Spotify. They should be on iTunes hopefully shortly. 
Google Cast, Pocket Cast, basically anywhere you get a podcast, you can you can find it. Uh, the theory goes, and I will put the links to both of those in the chat and in the description on this video once it goes live as well. So let me dig those up for you real quick. Yeah, and while I'm digging those up, I'm going to um, just make another couple quick announcements. I'm going to be at Gen Con this weekend, or this coming weekend, next weekend, uh, which is super exciting. I've never been before. I'm a little nervous, uh, if I must be honest with you, because I, I don't have, like, my own space. I'm sharing a space. And so... To a degree, that's new and a little intimidating. I haven't done a con in like two years. And I have some, well, I guess it's been about a year. But I have a little bit of social anxiety about that. I have a little bit of, uh, it's not really, I guess, social anxiety. I have, anx I have anxiety about having social anxiety when I get there, if that makes sense. So usually when I go somewhere where there's a lot of people, by the time I get there and I start talking and everything is happening, I'm fine. Like I get by just fine. There's no issues. Everything's, you know, hunky dory. But leading up to it, I get very nervous that I'm going to wind up just having like a crippling anxiety problem. So that's been a little weird to deal with, uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of people there I'm going to want to see. Obviously, any of you guys that are there, I would love to see you, talk to you, see what you think about the shows, see what you think about the books I'm doing. Uh, there are a couple of people that I would like to seek out and try to shake their hand and you know, get their autograph or talk to them about you know work opportunities, all sorts of fun stuff. So it's going to be an interesting time. I'm very excited about it, and I'll be in... Uh, the author's alley or whatever they call it the, the Gen Con version of Artist Alley I'll be there um, I'll be hanging out with uh, David A. Rodriguez who is the uh, creator of Finding Gossamer and Starkweather and Shadow Girls and um, just a bunch of stuff uh, works on Destiny 2 I guess some people play that so uh He's going to be a busy bee. I'll be at the table probably the majority of the convention. I am going to try to get out and uh, sit in. I'd like to find an Adventurers League table to play at. I've never played AL before, and I'm starting to open up some interest in that regard. So I think I'm going to try to track down a place to play some AL. So if... Any of you guys are going to be at Gen Con and you're going to be running an AL game, uh, shoot me a message. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. Let's get together. Let's play, let's play some D&D. Obviously, I would be a first-level character because I've never played Adventures League before. Um, but yeah, aside from that, you know, those couple of things, I'll probably be at the table most of the, most of the weekend. So come by and say hi. I'm going to be promoting this show, and I'm going to be promoting Extreme Drawis, 
which also is now available as a podcast. So those are going to be my main focal sort of points while I'm at the convention. That and networking, because you know, you got to network. You got to spread the word about your work. I'll probably have a little bit of stock with me to sell of my games, but I don't imagine it's going to be um, an overwhelming amount. Partially just due to table space, partially due to like you know storage space that we'll have access to. You know where we're staying. Uh, it's a convention, so I'm sure it's going to be 20 of us stuck in a room. You know that's supposed to seat two. But that's the fun, right? That's why you do these things. That's why you go to. That's why you go to these things. So. So I'm not used to multitasking and type and talk slow at the same time. Here are those links. And again, if you're watching uh, or if you're listening to the podcast, the links will be in the description. Or if you're watching this in the archive, the links will be in the description to the Calculated Risks podcast and the Extreme Draws podcast. As of right now, we will have we have all of the current episodes of Extreme Draws up and we have all of season one of Calculated Risks up. So that's where we're at at the moment with that. I'm going to try to get Calculated Risks caught up before I leave for Gen Con. Uh, it shouldn't be a problem. The process of uploading at anchor.fm is actually really easy. Um, so I may even be able to get that knocked out today. So I'm told that Dave has a storage unit on site at Gen Con. Wow, that's neat. Um, well, it, getting the stuff there is not going to be the problem. Like, fortunately, I know enough people that are leaving from here that have enough room in their vehicles that, like, I could load shit all day. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, I didn't know about storing it. So maybe I should talk to the guy I'm actually going to Gen Con with about how that's going to work. I'm not ready for this. I am not, I have not planned. I have not done this appropriately. I'm going to be flying by the seat of my pants. I'm going to be a pantser, as, as they say in the uh, indie author community. But it's cool. It's going to be fun. And you know what? I mean, um, I'm going to have a good time. Oh, I'm still wearing my kitty headphones. My headphones broke, so I'm borrowing my wife's headphones. I have cat ears. So that's fun. But enough about all that jazz. And now, I, now that I don't need to monitor audio anymore. I can take the cat headphones off. So yeah, my, uh, my regular headphones died. I have a terrible track record with headphones. Like every time I get a new pair, they last about two weeks and then I do something stupid and ridiculous to them. And it's almost always something different, stupid and ridiculous to them. My latest pair of headphones uh, met an untimely demise when I, well, I don't know why that's freaking out back there, um, met an untimely demise when I 
tried to listen to a podcast while I was going to sleep. I tried to catch up on, um, what was it? Calculator, or not calculator, critical role. Uh, and I had the pod, I had the headphones on. I fell asleep listening to it on my iPad. And apparently I dropped my iPad when I passed out. And it landed like right on, I mean, it just bent the, um, <clears throat> the plug-in just like to like a 90 degree angle. Uh, so that was that was fun. That's the way I abuse my personal possessions. I need to be a little bit more careful about that stuff. So, having said all that, let's get back down to what we're actually doing here, right? Like I said earlier, uh, Ebron was released. It's in its playtesting phase. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the Wayfinder's Guide that's super cool, and I highly do recommend you go pick it up. Uh, it's available at D&D Beyond right now, and it's available in PDF over at DriveThruRPG. It's not finished. As they roll out new content for it, they will be updating the documents accordingly. And just so you know, if you per pick it up for D&D Beyond, you will not have access to a compendium download until the final version is released. So those are things I've seen people in the community be upset they didn't know going into it. So I wouldn't want you to run and pick up, uh, you know, the Eberron book on my recommendation without mentioning those things to you. Having said that though, it's dope. It's super cool. It's uh, the impression that I'm getting from like Keith Baker's blog is that this is really like Keith's, DM's Guild offering of this. So this is all like his work, largely. Uh, there's some development going on, obviously, from other people, but uh, it's really, you know, they, as they, you know, as, as it makes sense for them to do, they've really got him in there, elbow deep, making it work. So that's exciting. Um, but, you know, we've been running And we've been using everywhere that we needed to rules that I homebrew. So part of what I would like to do uh, both today and just over the coming you know week or two, and all that free time I'm going to have when I'm sitting in Gen Con, um, I would like to make sure that what we're doing is in line with what's out there, right? Because it's one thing if you're just doing like a homebrew uh, world and, and nobody... Um, you're using stuff that nobody else can access, right? Stuff you came up with, that's fine, that's cool, but now we're going to be visiting places and including elements that the public has access to directly without having to just, like, you know, go find what I put up or whatever. So I want to make sure that it's right. You know, I want to make sure that we're in line with it. I did go through a little bit, uh, so if you can see on the screen there, I don't know how good the resolution is, but so I went through into my characters. Um, there are a couple characters. I put out a product on the DMs Guild a while ago called Calculated Races. And what we had done to sort of make Eberron work with the rules that were available at the time was we took and I figured out how to take a take an existing race and alter that race's template to reflect the race we were trying to do, right? So I built the Warforged off of Goliaths, 
which took a little bit of tweaking, uh, but not as much as you'd think. And so now that I don't need to do that, I went back through and went into some of our NPCs. I shared this uh, on our Facebook group. We have a Facebook group now. I'll put the link for that in the chat in the description. Um, but you know, I went and shared this so that people could see the change, uh, see that we what we've got now. And I'm still tweaking on uh, Constable Grimjaw a little bit. There are some options. Uh, I love that sweet design. Got my nifty little Mordenkainen's pre-order orrery thing there. I don't. I think I got that from the pre-order. It's pretty though. Um, it's a little animated GIF. It's nice. But there are some things that I may wish to tweak with some of these NPCs. Uh, I just kind of wanted to get a feel for how the changes would look going right into it. But like, for example, right now I've got Constable Grimjaw set up as a skirmisher uh, sub-race. <clears throat> but looking at the stuff that's offered in the Wayfinder's Guide, there are a couple of different... Oh, the screen's blanked out. That's awesome. How about now? Do we have video now? Hey! Look at that. It's back. I I don't know what in the holy Hades is going on with... Uh, it's either Twitch or Game Show. One of the two is just not behaving itself. So, in any event, let's see if that pops over for me. All right. So, yeah, we've got the Wayfinder's Guide up. Um, I chose a skirmisher for Constable Grimjaw uh, just because it was, like, the quickest option, and I was just playing with it. But as I'm looking into them, uh, now let's bring up the Warforged here. The idea behind Constable Grimjaw and the and the place that he fits in the narrative, and he will be returning uh, to the story if and when they return to Sharn. So this is development that's going to be um, vital and important going forward. So. As we're looking at the Warforged, they're set up with three different sub-races, which is pretty cool. Uh, you have the uh, Envoy, which has <clears throat> like a specific function in mind and gives you an integrated tool set. So it's built right into your body. You get uh, expertise with it effectively. And you have to have your hands free to use it. So, like, that was kind of cool because going back to the episode, episodes that he was in, he had a built-in little device that was for flavor um, where, like, effectively he could record someone's statement and it spit out a little ticker tape that had their statement on it. thought it was a cool little, uh, cute little way to just, you know, give him, like, a, like a personality quirk. Something neat, something funny that a, that a Warforged cop might have. So I thought about, like, okay, let's use, uh, 
let's use cartographer's tools, right? Because that's a creation. That was something I was thinking about switching over to. The other thing I was thinking of doing is, do I want to make this like a docent or a, or a magic item? <clears throat> okay. So let's get into this. Right now he's set up as a skirmisher, which gives him a, a buff to his decks, uh, gives him extra speed, and the ability to travel alone for an extended period of time stealthily at a normal pace. Looking back at that snap decision, nothing about that makes sense for that character. Not a single thing. That was a bad call. So I'm going to go back and fix it. Um, so we're going to go into ye old D&D Beyond here. And we're going to edit the constable because we made some mistakes. So nothing wrong with that. Now, uh, Grimjaw is a rogue inquisitive, which is perfecto for the setting. Now, I've also added inquisitors tools, or inquisitives tools, I should say, uh, which I added, what was it, Xanathar's Guide to Everything? Or no, Xanathar's Extraordinary Vault, I think I put them in. Um, might have been in something before that. But they're basically a direct port from uh, from 3.5. So maybe that would be a cool tool toolkit to have him be proficient with. Um, I don't know that D&D Beyond has the capacity to add a custom toolkit yet. Um, so we may have to just still... We may not quite be there, but um, let's go over and we'll check out race. So we've got him down as a skirmisher. We want to change his race. Definitely want to go into the Warforged. No, that's a homebrew Warforged. Uh, we definitely want to go into... Now see, that's bizarre. It's not giving me the option all of a sudden. I wonder if they're doing some updates. So I've got my homebrew razor claw right there, which was another thing I was going to go into today. Oh, D&D Beyond, why am I having a bad tech day? All right. Yeah, that's so weird. Uh, let's try. Can't actually join the race he's in right now. Must be some updates going on. That's all I can think of. The compendium's there. We can go into it. This is fun. We're having a grand old time. This is why game design takes as long as it fucking does, by the way. Perpetually chasing after shit that's broken. So.
like I literally have the content open. It's not that the content's locked out in some way or another. Let's try it again. <sighs> Edit character. Fun times. Thanks for your patience while I try to fix this crappy crap. Hmm. Let's see if we can change things at a base level. Oh, they did change things. Now you have to add Ebron content. Yeah, that wasn't there like literally last night when I was doing some of this uh, this updating. So important safety tip, folks. If you're making characters using Ebron, you have to turn on the Ebron content. Uh, also, always turn on these two as well. They're, they're handy to have. You want your critical role content. You do. It's good stuff. And you definitely want your Ebron content. Playtest, absolutely. I want that UA, that, that sweet, sweet UA stuff. And homebrew content. Obviously, if you're making a character for Adventurers League or something like that, maybe don't do that. So that's in your home screen on the character builder. Now we can get down to brass tacks. Changing his race, good lord. There's a lot more of a pain in the neck than it needed to be. Warforged, we have three sub-races. So Skirmisher, we've decided, is just a freaking terrible idea. Does not fit with character. It's not what he's about. So we have the choice between Juggernaut and Envoy. Now Envoy, we can build in the Inquisitor's tools, um, which I think would be kind of cool, but one of the running narrative themes that I'm exploring in Calculated Risks is the idea of these people who were constructed as soldiers with a specific violent purpose in mind, effectively, um, trying to adapt to this new world, very much being fish out of water. If you remember, um, there's a nurse that they meet in season two at the uh, the quarantine area where Anu's cousin is being kept that's like basically Ed 209 from uh, Robocop. It's just a giant like monstrous killing machine that is now an orderly at this hospital because it needs it needs new work. Uh, the Great War is done um, so it's looking for something to do with its life. I went into nursing. Nursing is good money. Job security. So, we've established that he's got the, um, that he's got the ticker tape. We've established he's got one of the wand, uh, built-in wand uh, storage units in his arm, too. Which, if I'm not mistaken, if we go into the Wayfinder's Guide... I believe that's one of the listed items. Now, I don't know. I 
So we're going to check the magic items. I don't know if it's actually in magic items or if it's right there in um, the Warforged. Yes, we've got That's yeah, Warforged components. The wand sheath. So yeah, he's got a wand sheath. So we need to make sure that we add that and we attune it. So I'm going to go ahead and do that before I forget because we know he's got it. Um, and we'll come back and fix this race thing in a minute. So equipment. Uh, he's got a cloak of protection. We need to add another item and it's going to eat an attunement slot. So add items. Right. The wand sheath is in. And so now I've not established in game what wands are in there except for his pen. So we can go ahead and add that to the wand of endless ink. So we go into our use the wand of endless ink we're not going to use the arrows we will use the wand sheath okay so we tune the wand sheath wand of endless ink does not require attunement so let's check and see what we've got for slots right let's fill this guy out uh, the wand sheath integrates to the forearm of the warforged you can attach a wand sheath by tuning it and while the wand sheath is attached it can't be removed from you against your will uh, only takes one minute to end the attunement you can insert a wand. Okay. So we just have one slot according to this. So to bring things in line with what's available right now, we're going to just stick with the one slot. Um, and that's fine. So now since we're here looking at the magic items anyway, let's look at, before we make our race decision, or sub-race decision, excuse me, let's look at how docents work and see if the docent would work better for like the the, the secretary than a, um, than like a uh, separate magic item or an integrated tool set. So it's small metal sphere, start with dragon shards, intelligent magic item. Okay. So it has a couple of traits that you can choose from. But they don't they aren't really customizable and none of them involve what we're trying to do. So, uh, well, let's see, it's got a bunch of different languages. So maybe we'll give them one anyway. Because why not? Um, 
Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's give him a docent. And that will allow him to translate, and then we'll just add in the ticker tape as flavor to the docent, right? Because we don't really need a system for that. Uh, so that would be the way I would run it. I would say, oh yeah, it can translate, and by the way, you can print out some ticker tape. You need to, you know, change your paper every once in a while. Not a big deal. Um, so let's go ahead and add the docent. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, by the way. I... I know that it's the internet, and like I should have known this a long time ago. Um, maybe listened to a podcast once in a while that had uh, Keith Baker on it. But I learned so much pronunciation in the last week uh, with all the releases of things. It's funny uh, being, and I think this is something that we might see starting to fade away from humanity. At least I hope we do. Um, I learned my entire vocabulary and how to speak and everything basically from reading. Like I wasn't surrounded by extremely verbose folk growing up. Um, I just you know, picked things up and, and learned my vocabulary by reading. So I mispronounce words all the time and don't know it. So if you ever bust me on that, uh, let me know. I would love to know how to actually pronounce a word that I'm screwing up. Uh, another thing that's awesome about D&D Beyond is they're adding in all of these uh, pronunciation guides. So you can, like, they're not, obviously not in this document yet, but if you go into, um, well, let's see. If you go into, like, some of the creature descriptions and whatnot, you'll see a little bitty... Um, or the actual details page. Of course, yep, you see a little bitty speaker there and you can push it and it'll tell you how it pronounces it. I don't have it capturing my system audio right now, but I assure you it just said Ericocra or something along those lines. What did it say? Aracocra. So yeah, neat little pronunciation guide. That would have been handy when I was playing Vampire the Masquerade in 1993, and nobody knew how to pronounce obfuscate. Um, obfuscate, obfuscate. So yeah, the internet is for more than sharing cat videos and arguing with people about politics. There's actually you know useful stuff to be learned. All right, so we had just added the docent. We've used the docent. It's not giving me the opportunity to uh, attune it. Oh, yeah, it is. All right, there we go. So the docent's attuned. Do I have drop-downs? Do I have a way of choosing what traits my docent has? Probably not. That might be in the sheet. Let's look. I wonder if it just starts giving me like all the bonuses. That'd be, that'd be trippy. All right, let's go to equipment, attunement, docent. All right, okay. So I can't. I would need to go in and manually add these bonuses to the sheet, uh, which we can do. 
let's just yeah let's just get it done all right so languages we get to add common giant four additional languages um, So we're going to add a language. Giant. Language. Oh, I clicked remove like a dummy. Uh, yeah, we're going to add giant and we're going to say docent. 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 Like I said, I'm open to suggestions about how that's supposed to be pronounced. So that's there. What other languages should we have this dude? Uh, this He's a cop, he's in Sharn. So I would say he's probably gonna know some goblin, right? That makes sense. Makes sense to me. Um say so we'll add Elvin. Elfish. Elvin. Maybe some draconic. What do you think? I'll get one more for the for the dozen. So, um, let's see what's a what's a weird one to have. Maybe he'll know some infernal. Yeah, you're you're a cop. You probably have to question a lot of tieflings. racism exists even in fantasy all right um, so yeah now we've got languages covered what else do we get from this bad boy this bad boy right here can fit so many languages in it all right, um, let's, see. let's have them detect being able to be to have divination. Okay. So we're going to put that in features and traits. I think is where we're going to go. Just looking for a place that we can customize it. If you haven't checked out the new D&D Beyond sheet, I really highly recommend it. Um, it's highly customizable. It's very well put together. It just also misses the mark. Well, it doesn't miss the mark. It just, it there are more places where they could add some customization. 
And naturally, I run into them literally every time I open to do something new to a character. So, all right, we're going to add, we're going to pick our docent qualities, right? We can have it detect, it's three of these, so it's going to detect any form of magic that scries or divines against the Warforged host. Did you just crash on me? Copy. There we go. Let's give it an investigation score. Let's make a note that this is from Docent as well. And let's give it a medicine score, right? So if our guy drops, Constable Grimjaw takes a takes a bullet in the ass. Um, the docent will be able to make a wisdom medicine check targeting him with plus seven bonus. And if he's rendered unconscious, it will automatically attempt to stabilize him once a turn. Um, and then we'll just note that. Uh, how do we want to put this? Translated languages may be, um, let's see, printed from the host's chest. Using one silver point worth of paper for uh, per minute of recorded dialogue. It's a really minor feature. I think that that is fine to put in as flavor to uh, a magic item, particularly a magic item that's where docent's rare. Yeah, rare and it requires attunement. I don't think I'm going to lose any sleep over that being there. Um, so that's where we're going to go with that. So now that we've got the established things, right, he's got this uh, Wand of Endless Ink, which is basically a pen um, that never runs out in his wand sheath. And he's got the Docent, which will cover uh, bonuses to investigation, which will come in handy because he's an Inquisitor, he's a cop. He's actually a little better at it than the Docent is, but uh, should be able to aid him, I would think or he can aid it. And then we would have uh, the, the flavor that lets him spit out the ticker tape. So now he's been brought largely in line. So now we can go and resolve this race, sub-race issue. So make a little edit. 
And I don't know about you guys, but um, as I level up my characters, my PCs in a campaign, I tend to increase levels of probably more NPCs than maybe some other DMs do. I guess that's another thing, too, that I'd like to hear people's thoughts on. Do you use, especially in 5th edition, where there are so many, um, like, monster-statted NPCs that are, like, humanoid, do you use leveled characters as your NPCs? Or do you use, like, a stat block? Um, I tend to, particularly because I've got D&D Beyond and I've got the, the Master subscription, so... I can have unlimited numbers of characters. I tend to just bang out a character. If it's not like a like a legit monster. That's kind of how I tackle it. So, um, it, having said that, there are some that will just sort of remain static. And then there are some that will level up along with the, with the players. Uh, and Constable Grimjaw is the space he occupies in the story. He's not... A, he's not like a antagonist or a rival even necessarily. He's a ally that has some uh, that's occasionally in opposition to the, to the party. I guess would be the way that that goes, right? I guess that sounds about right. So let's look at what our options are. We could we could envoy him and still have that. Uh, you know, option to like have a built-in tool set, uh, or we go with Juggernaut. Um, I really just don't think Skirmisher fits. Uh, Juggernaut could be cool. He's big. He's scary looking. Uh, let's see what that would do to his stats. So, bumps the con score instead of the dex. Um, keeps the size, brings the speed back down to 30, uh, nothing changes there. So he's still going to be Darkwood Core, because he's not proficient, I don't think, with medium armor. Um, let's see, Strength goes by two Iron Fists. Okay, nice. So, and powerful build. So, it brings him back in line with Goliath a little bit more. Um, so, let's do that, because that's a little bit more like what we had initially designed, right? So, uh, if you're doing a any sort of like a conversion, you know, whenever possible, it's good to, to stick to those original concepts that you're using, even if they were sort of cobbled together, I guess. So let's see. Okay, so you can actually change this if you have the prerequisites. Uh, he's probably going to generally run around in the Darkwood core. Um, so that's neat. I didn't quite realize that's how integrated protection works. So you can actually, if you're prof if you're proficient with medium and heavy armor, you can swap out your armor class all the time. Plus, you get the proficiency bonus bump 
to it. So that's actually a really uh, potent feature. Um, I'd seen some people complaining about it online, but it looks good to me. It's, like I said, it's potent. Uh, so now that we've changed his race, we just want to make sure uh, we go through D&D Beyond and we look at all of the drop-downs because if there is a drop-down, if there's something that needs to be addressed, you'll get that blue exclamation point. So let's look at where our traits are at now. Um, yeah, he's not particularly uh, swift, that's for sure. Uh, he's got that low deck score. But he's a bit more of a bit more of a brute than he was before, but that's fine. That works out for us. Uh, he's still extremely intelligent and extremely perceptive. And those are really the, the, the big things that this character is built around. So we've got equipment sorted out. Let's go into class and let's go ahead. Our PCs are at ninth level, I do believe, in calculated risks at this point. Good way to check this out. Let's see. My campaigns. All right, yeah, they're at nine. So we've got. Let's bring, let's bring him up to like seven, because they're out running around doing adventuring, so on and so forth. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna tack on two more levels of, of Rogue Inquisitive to him. See what that brings us. That brings us some expertise. Hey. So let's do uh, perception. So now he's got, he can do it as a bonus action. Okay, yeah. We do have, we already have it, I think, in insight. So let's go into, uh, let's do athletics. And he picks up some evasion. Not that his dex is in a great position to be using it. So yeah, now let's take a look at the final updated sheet. Yeah, we didn't pull an ASI because we didn't go up high enough, so he's slow, but otherwise in pretty good shape. That armor class ain't great, um, but again, you know, it looks like he's uh, well equipped. We've got everything we need here. Perception is nuts. His passive perception is nuts. Um, yeah, this passive investigation is nuts. Everything's good. This is he is the investigator guy. So good shape. Let me also just make sure because. So I have I have a, a number of methods I normally uh, apply when I'm making a character. Uh, I want to make sure I didn't do this wrong. So let's manage his HP. Um, he should have. Okay, yeah, he's at fixed value. Okay. I tend to use fixed value HP. I tend to use. Uh, standard array ability scores and I tend to give out equipment 
based on starting class packages. And the reason I do all that stuff is because D&D is a game about that, that is about cooperation, fairness, people working together, um, level playing field for the heroes. Um, now, as you're growing as a character, you can pick directions and start specializing and really sort of grow that character into a, into something somebody who's either something of a generalist who's good at a lot of things but not great at anything or you can build like a min max like i can do this thing better than anyone else in the entire multiverse um and that's fine and those are the decisions that you get to make as a player going into it but uh i don't think anyone should start out too far ahead of anyone else and if you have people rolling dice for shit and and you know doing starting gold you can run into a lot of that a lot of what a min maxing and so not particularly interested in being involved in that all right so now that we've got constable grimjaw out of the way we've got the finished character um if you guys want to take a look at him as he is now um I'm actually going to go ahead and drop the link to him in the chat, and I'll also put that up in the um, description on the video and on the podcast. And that link will take you right to his sheet on D&D Beyond, so you can see... Oh, hey. Click the wrong thing. You can see how he is now developed. Um, And it's also another thing that's kind of cool about this uh, is in going through this design process and seeing sort of like what decisions I made as I was trying to represent this character with the tools I had at hand at the time. Uh, as I was making calculated races and things like that, to see some of those core design concepts, or not core, but uh, supplementary design concepts, I guess, um, reiterated in the design that's being rolled out right now is very uh, reassuring to me that I was on the right track and that my design logic is not crazy. You know, the Warforged in calculated races, I'm gonna go ahead and bring it up just so that I can compare the two. Uh, now they've made some changes to Warforged, which makes sense. They're uh, a major simplification, I would say, which brings them more in line with, um, I guess, 5e in general, right? Because the number of features that any player character has, any player character race has in 5e, is pretty limited. Um, it's supposed to be simplified. It's supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be things that the player can access and remember on a relatively you know, regular basis without having to go looking in a book. Um, it's supposed to be elegant. 
most of the design of Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition is built around uh, elegant basis, and then your complications are then added by your your specific choices as a character. So the general rules, and then your character is really a bag of exceptions to those rules. Um, so when you're designing a race, you don't want to put too many exceptions in that bag. So I'm just going in right now, and I'm going to open up Calculated Races, which is up on the DMs Guild right now. And just check my work, right? We're going to look and see where my uh, mindset was when I was designing this versus where... Uh, Keith Baker's mindset was when he put it up. So, Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, I'm just digging through my super complicated file list. Calculated skins, that's what I have saved in here as, it's funny. Uh, calculated races, all right. So, when I was designing that, and I went in for the Warforged, I said I used the Goliath as the basis for that. And... built on that chassis so yeah I basically just used the the Goliath race as it sat uh, with living construct and in place of mountain born and living construct gave you know Immune um, disease, don't need to eat or breathe, can ingest food or drink if you wish. Sorry about that. So, because that, now in the Warforged that are out now, you have Warforged Resilience, uh, which gives you advantage on saving throws against being poisoned and resistance to poison, poison damage. So, that's in addition to kind of what I had seen. Immune to disease, which is the same. Don't need to eat, drink, or breathe, which is the same. Uh, don't need to sleep and don't suffer exhaustion due to lack of rest. Now that's new. Um, and I think most of these, I actually, most of the Living Construct stuff, I actually pulled from the initial UA, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean... But the Goliaths, you're going to have your, your size stuff uh, in terms of what do we got here? Uh, coming off the Juggernaut, the powerful build that comes off of the Goliath. The Iron Fists, giving you that extra damage. That's a, another, another buff. But again, I think when you're doing like a homebrew design, it's good to err on the side of conservative alteration right so i didn't i don't want to put 
more stuff in there, you know, and pile on things, pile on the exceptions, right? You want to keep your bag of exceptions relatively small and flavorful. You want the, the exceptions that you're making, I would say, to be more focused on the flavor. Um, and I'm really conveying what makes that different from the thing that you're basing your homebrew off of. Um, yeah, so uh, judging those out, I think I actually was probably, I might have been a little too conservative. But again, too, I wasn't doing like a ground up design. I was doing a, um, you know, sort of a piecemeal patch together. All right, so we've got Constable Grimjaw is handled. What's next? What do I want to share with you? I want to share with you that uh, we've had some uh, shifter situation, right? So there were some shifters that they fought in the initial um, arc. Now we did a, uh, we basically ran the story from the 3.5 campaign setting um, the Forgotten Forge, we ran that pretty much by the book when we first launched this, this podcast. So I did a lot of conversions for that. And the way I did shifters in those conversions was to represent them basically through feats. So I used the human with the variant um, option. I, and then I sort of specified, like, okay, what ability score increases are you going to take? What feats do you take? And I built custom feats to represent each of the Warforged, uh, or each of the Shifter bloodlines, I should say. And so now that the Shifters are, are actually given a race, um, so we're going to look in... We'll go take a look at the shifter. Right. So I gave all of the shifters a dexterity of plus one, and then I tied a plus one bonus to the feet. So they would get a plus one based on whatever type of shifter they were, which is, again, kind of, you know, inspired by what was in the 3.5 design, but also... Uh, limited to a plus one to keep it balanced with feet construction um because there aren't any feats that give you a plus two otherwise why would you not take that feat? so i added a skill proficiency and survival across the board and i added sylvan as a second language and then you were required to take your your starting feet as either Beast Senses, Beast Dash, Beast Climb, Beast Claw, or Beast Bite. So we have five of them. Now going into what actually made its way out into the public from Mr. Baker. Um, so the Shifter as presented publicly has four sub-races. Um, so instead of having like 
you know, basically the different bloodline is re is uh, represented by the subrace. And so your base traits, you get walking speed of 30, you get dark vision, which I didn't give them, so zang. Dark vision is uh, basically a, a so common that it's not like impactful on challenge rating necessarily um things along those lines it, it's it's treated it seems to be anyway treated design wise as sort of um system neutral you know it doesn't really impact things one way or the other um which a you know smart bm or smart player can take advantage of um you know really trying to work the dark if, if they have that dark vision uh, it also makes gloomstalker rangers ridiculous when they get the invisibility to dark vision feature because that makes them invisible like eight tenths of the game so keen senses they get proficiency with perception so their base skill choice was different um, than what I went with. It makes sense though. Like, don't get me wrong. None of these comparisons that I'm doing here, are like I think I designed this better than Keith Baker did. No, it's not that. It's me looking at it and going, okay, well, where did I have an opportunity? Um, especially seeing what they did with the sub races, I see why they went with perception for the. Uh, for the base proficiency, and if I'd have given it some more thought, I would have gone in that direction. I just didn't. And then you have shifting, which lets you assume the more bestial appearance, uh, lasts for a minute till you die, or revert to your normal appearance to bonus action. You get temporary hit points equal to your level plus your constitution modifier. And then your sub race. So going into the feats that I created to represent the shifting, um, you would get your constitution modifier plus level, uh, temporary hit points. It's a bonus action to activate, lasts for a minute, and can't use it again so you complete a short or long rest. Now, and that's also same with shifting. So we get into what do we get for each one? Beast hide. Con the official or semi-official, the one from Wayfinders is con score plus two, proficiency with athletics, and a d6 additional hit points plus one to AC. Going over to what I did for beast hide. Um, plus one AC, plus uh, temporary hit points equal to con mod plus level. So this is just a d6, so I was probably a little higher there. So basically doubling what you get for being a shifter. Um, but no bonus skill point. Oh, I did give them dark vision. They just all got it through their feet. See, like, like I said, dark vision's all over the place. It's um, not uncommon. So I guess I didn't overlook that. That's good. Um, so then going into long tooth. Long tooth have the fangs, right? And they're at plus two strength, intimidation. And they get a bite that does 1d6 plus strength. 
So the bite is the important thing we're looking at here. We got the beast bite feat that I created. 1d6 plus strength modifier piercing. You get the temporary hit points. Oh, that's again from your shifting. So all I had beast hide doing then was just giving you the plus one AC. Yeah, I pooched that, I think. Um, yeah, so again, as you look through these, you're seeing that I really kind of went light on it. I, I went a little, uh, I didn't quite go as far as I could have probably gone. Um, but, you know, now we have an opportunity to fix it. So you notice here we've got Longtooth, Swift Stride, Wild Hunt, and uh, Beast Hide, right? And now in Calculated Races, there's also the Razor Claw. In 3.5, there's also the Razor Claw. Now, I can understand why the Razor Claw is not included in Wayfinders. Um, from a system perspective, they're not that different from the Longtooth as presented in 3.5 anyway. Uh, the big thing is you've got two attack, you know, or not two attacks, but you've got two weapons you can use. So you can make an offhanded attack uh, as a bonus action. And then you've got the uh, their claws instead of a bite. So I've started some work last night on setting that up. So let's go into our homebrew creations. And the reason being is because most of the shifters they have encountered in the game so far have been razor claw. Uh, so as you can see, I have a lot of things I have built. Uh, 14 pages worth of homebrew in here. Because um, I use D&D Beyond for all my design, it's a good way to verify that the things that you're using are in, you know, in step with the existing system. You can always just go up to the search bar, look for what you want. Um, it's just a good design tool. So we're looking for Razor Claw. So here's the Razor Claw subrace. Here's the traits we have. We have strength score plus two. I gave him proficiency with stealth. Why did I give him proficiency with stealth? Well, I thought that um, they would be a little bit more feline um, in terms of like the stalker sort of predator. Uh, the the um, the bitey ones. Why can't I remember their name? Longtooth. Ooh, thank you. Uh, as it describes the longtooth, it says they draw on tigers, hyenas, other predators. So I thought, let's stay in that similar, like, range, but make it more about the stalkery kind of, of creatures. So I gave him the stealth bonus. And then I give him this uh, shifting feature. While shifted, you use your elongated fangs. Well, we need to edit that, right? Because it's not fangs. So, I'm 
go into the tray editor and we're going to edit the shifting feature. So while shifted, you can use your claws to make unarmed strike as a bonus action. Okay. Let's try this again. That should be you can use your claws to make an unarmed strike. Because it's not a bonus action. It's just your unarmed strike. So it would be as an attack. Okay, how do we want to word this though? This is where D&D 5th edition gets funny. Um, while shifted, you can use your, you can use an attack action to make a melee attack with your claws. Let's say this attack is considered an unarmed strike. Okay, so that way, because what that does then, the intent here is that you use the attack action to make a melee attack with your claws. It's considered an unarmed strike. So because you're using the attack action to make a melee attack, that means that when you have the extra attack feature, you get the extra attack from it. Uh, it's considered an unarmed strike, so if you have monk stuff, the monk stuff will work along with your claws, so on and so forth. That's the design intent I'm putting here. I don't know how that's going to work when it makes contact with the rest of the universe, um, but that's what I think, that's what makes the most sense to me, sitting here thinking about how the systems function in my head, right? Because at the end of the day, those claws are not going to do, like, if you're going for a monk, eventually your monk damage is going to be higher than those claws are. Um, so if you hit, you can deal 1d6 plus strength modifier, uh, slashing damage, instead of the bludgeon damage normal for an arm strike. Okay, beautiful. So let's just... Copy that bad boy over here and drop it in Rachel. So now we've got the claw part of the beast claw figured out, but or the razor claw figured out. But um, that bonus attack with your offhand, I want to make sure that's contained and uh, described right here in the feature description because I want it to be clear. 
Um, other people understand that they can make an offhand attack with their claw. So I want to make sure that I don't pooch the rules on this, because I often do. Um, Sometimes you have to search a couple different things to find out what you're looking for, right? And I have no idea if you guys can actually read what's going on on my D&D Beyond screen, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm uh, explaining what we're doing. So right now I'm looking for the rules on the two-weapon uh, two fighting. Let's try literally searching for two weapon fighting. Okay. Here we go. Someone has copied and pasted the rule into a forum. That happens a lot on D&D Beyond. Maybe something um, they should look into. I should send them a note. Just, I mean, it's cool to find the forum stuff, but also it'd be nice if the rule just came up. So, um, right. Okay, so the way that two-weapon fighting is written, when you take the attack action and attack with a light melee weapon that you're holding in one hand, you can use bonus action to attack with a different light melee weapon that you're holding in the other hand. Uh, you don't add your ability modifier to the damage of the bonus attack unless that modifier is negative. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit more research here because I think the monk addresses this a little differently. But I'm not 100% sure because out of all the classes, I am the least familiar with the monk. So let's go take a look at it. I got that poor word document sitting there open, been open all day, haven't done a thing with it. Uh, maybe we'll do something with that. So let's look at the monk class features. Uh, martial arts. Okay, so they get their ability to make a second attack with an unarmed strike or their monk weapon when the when you it comes from martial arts when you use the attack action with an arm strike or monk weapon on your turn you can make one unarmed strike as a bonus action so we want to adapt that ability right uh, we don't want to try to screw with making the claws light or doing any other weird stuff that's going to uh, confuse the issue because this is the rule that is closest to the intent that was provided in 3.5. Um, you get to make that second attack. So what we're going to do is we're just going to copy that little chunk of it and we're going to bring it over into the razor claw and we're going to say... Um, when you use the attack action and 
clean up the formatting here just a little bit. Let's get rid of that. Um, for, uh, there's a guide on here in one of the forums where the tooltips come up and tells you what to put. I think it's action, action, but. So one of the cool things about editing D&D Beyond is you can now um, you can put in cross links for your tooltips, right? Um, So that when you're when you're looking at it in D&D Beyond, if you hover over it, or it'll bring up the the thing like, um, well, literally like, I already closed the monk, but so if you wanted the monk, this is gonna be the longest way to get to one of these, um, dude. Seriously. So you go to the monk, you get down here, you hover over the skill, your little pop-up tells you what the skill does, so on and so forth. That's your tooltip. Um, so yeah, I, I want to say it's action, action. I knew somewhere there was a oh. everything you need to know about homebrew tutorials and FAQ. Sometimes you just gotta check the FAQ. Just got to check the FAQ. Give me my tooltips. How about my tooltips? That's tags. That's not tooltips. Where are the tooltips? See if <laughs> whoever's signature that was, thank you. All right, yeah, so it's action, action, just like I thought it was. I probably could have just tested that out, but I didn't. So, um, Yeah, I know, right? Like, come on, let's let's navigate a little better, shall we? Holy cow! All right, 
I probably could have just tested that out. I didn't. I'm a terrible person. I apologize for wasting everyone's time. But now we know for sure, at least until the next time I go to do it, that it is action, action. So, so now, um, when you use the action, the attack action with an unarmed strike. Okay. So let's change that um, to use the attack action with your claws. On your turn, you can make one arm, one unarmed strike. Let's say. One unarmed strike is a bonus action, but we're gonna still keep that damage penalty that you get from two weapon fighting. So what we will say is this this If you use your claws for this unarmed strike, no, it won't matter if you use your claws. Um, so we'll just say this unarmed strike does not. Look up the wording again for standard unarmed strike. Or standard two weapon, sorry. Um, okay, you don't add your ability modifier unless that bonus is negative. Okay, that's what we're going to do because we want to make sure that they're not getting like a super leg up over. Two weapon fighting. Um, and we want to make sure that it that it conveys that the claws trigger that so that it comes along with this feature. Um, and part of the reason for that, to my mind, from a design perspective, is just to make sure that if there's ever a question about how that second attack works from the razor claw, that it's right there, it's easy. Um, specific beats general. That's the kind of the core driving principle of how fifth edition works. So especially if I'm not, um, no, I see what you're saying, uh, Lewis, in the chat and I guess so here's what here's where I'm, I'm I want to make sure that I'm being very particular in the design because the design because fifth is very much about like your specific word choices right um, I guess so 
the reason that the martial arts monk works the way that or the monk feature in martial arts works the way that it does is because they do not suffer from that negative um, regarding their their uh, ability damage or their ability modifier with their damage. So if a monk makes a second attack with their bonus action using martial arts, they still figure in their ability modifier to that damage. Okay? So that gets separated out. Because normally if you're just a dude with two fists, your right hand gets your or your, your dominant hand gets your ability modifier, your offhand doesn't. So with this What I'm trying to do is clarify that you're pulling that claw damage across um, if you use your claws, but you don't necessarily have to use your claws. But I guess if they're not going to use their claws, that's covered under the standard rules, right? So we really want to, um, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you can make one claw strike as a bonus action, or you can make... Uh, So actually, it would be make one melee attack with your claws. Yeah, so. All right, let's check this feature out. While shifted, you can use an attack action to make a melee attack against your uh, melee attack with your claws. The attack is considered an unarmed strike. If you hit with your claws, you can deal slashing damage equal to 1d6 plus your strength modifier instead of the bludgeoning damage normal for an unarmed strike. When you use the attack action with your claws on your turn, you can make one melee attack with your claws as a bonus action. You don't add your ability modifier to the damage of the bonus attack unless that modifier is negative. I think that covers how that works, and I might be being a little over specific here, but I would rather um, I would rather err on the side of specificity and have it survive in the wild than have something weird go down because I didn't spell it out. Um, and that's just you know, and if I get a bunch of playtest feedback that that doesn't work, um, then we change it. And that's the beauty of, of the way that this works, right? So now we're going to reveal the purpose of this uh, Word document. All right. So I think we got everything together. I think this is good to go. So um, I'm going to save all my changes. And let's go into my content, my homebrew creations. And we're going to look for the razor claw. Alright, so our razor claw traits are strength score goes up by two, proficiency with stealth, 
And when shifted, you can use an attack action to make a melee attack with your claws. The attack is considered an unarmed strike. If you hit with your claws, you can deal slashing damage equal to 1d6 plus your strength modifier instead of bludgeoning damage normal for an unarmed strike. When you use the attack action with your claws in your turn, you can make one melee attack with your claws as a bonus action. You don't add your ability modifier to the damage of the bonus attack unless that modifier is negative. Bang. So, two things. One, we're going to copy this. Then we're going to paste it over here in this Word document I've had sitting open all day. Boom shakalaka. And I'm going to write up a little bit of flowery stuff and match destination formatting. All right. Get rid of these hyperlinks. And I'm going to go look at D&D, uh, or at DM's Guild, and if this has not made its way up there by the time I get uh, around to properly formatting it, um, I'll throw it up there as a pay what you want. See what the people think of it. You know what I mean? Um, why not? But while that's done, though, and we've got about nine minutes left, uh, what I am going to do is the whole reason we went through and made this correct is because we have a couple of NPCs that are razor claw. So uh, I'm going to go in and swap them out. And there shouldn't be many changes that need to be made there. So um, poor uh, Tamagum, who was, uh, mild spoilers, was the guide to the party recently. Um, I don't know why I had him down as a half-orc. Uh, he was supposed to be, this whole time, a shifter. Particularly a razor claw shifter. So we're going to swap his race out. Oh, you. Now this is funny, because I have homebrew clicked, but I don't have um, Eberron content clicked. I can still make him a razor claw. Weird, right? Oh, D and D Beyond, you're so funny. Okay, so as you saw in the pop-ups, a couple things came up that have uh, required me to make some uh, updates, changes. So we're gonna go over change our proficiencies. Um, we'll go with, uh, investigation, why not, expertise, we'll go with, uh, investigation, why not, alright, expertise at 6th level, we'll go with insight, He's already got Thieves tools. I don't know why it's picked twice. Let's go stealth. Um, see if anything else popped up blue. It did not. So there's our Razor Claw Shifter guide that uh, unfortunately bought the farm. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Um, 
for some reason, I don't know why this is, um, the, so our attack, if we go into the sheet here, we've got the shifting strike, but it's still listed as a long, listed as a long tooth shifting strike. So there's something going on when we, in the, in the customization, um, where D&D Beyond has not fixed the code. So with, in that case, you have to go into customize and you have to change the name. Razor Claw. So, and I think that that's just sort of kind of the finicky nature of um, of how D&D Beyond's programming is working in terms of the rollout of this uh, of the homebrew. And whatnot. So, I mean, I don't think it's uh, like it's not the apocalypse by any stretch. It's just, you know, mildly irritating. But like I said earlier, most of the stuff you can uh, go in and you can customize as you see fit. So, um, if you want to see how this works in play once again. Not necessarily a min-maxed character. This is a character that's built about being the character. Um, so we're going to bring up his link, copy that. I'm going to pop it in the chat, and it will obviously be in the descriptions as well. So you guys can uh, check out uh, Tamagum, uh, the now owner of some uh, agricultural property. He did, in fact, buy the farm. Spoiler, spoiler. All right. So there were a couple other characters I was going to try to get around to today. I did not. I deeply apologize. Um, but it was been a good two hours hanging out. Um, really had some fun. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Hopefully this peek behind the scenes a little bit um, got you a little bit of insight. Hopefully it made you interested in the Warforged and the Shifter if you haven't checked those out yet. Uh, I know that there's at least some people that... Uh, watch the show or listen to this podcast that maybe have not played Eberron. They've just heard, uh, you know, just heard it being played or seen like Maze Arcana or heard this show. So really, I highly recommend picking up the Wayfi Wayfinder's Guide. I know it's 20 bucks, but it's worth it. You're going to get all those updates as they come through. The amount of information in there about uh, Eberron in general and Sharn specifically is really useful and there's a lot of neat items. Uh, I would recommend picking it up on D&D Beyond because the tools are all integrated. Uh, you'll get your races right there. You just have to make sure you turn on the content and um, get access to the magic items and all those things. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, definitely pick it up. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think in the comments on the videos or, uh, you know, shoot me an email. Uh, hit me up on my social media. All that stuff's usually down in the descriptions. Let me know what you think of the homebrews that we've set up. Let me know what you think of the, the Wayfinder's Guide. Let me know what you think if there's a hole that needs to be plugged in Eberron. I will be creating a bunch of Eberron content. I have a bunch of content that I've been creating for this podcast for the last year. Well, last you know, nine months. So it's just a matter of making sure that that content is now in line with what is this, the accepted 
um, Eberron milieu and uh, and getting it put together in a publishable format. So, um, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out. If you have not yet done so, uh, please subscribe. If you're an Amazon Prime user, you get one free Twitch sub a month. I would love to be your free sub. Uh, if you're not an Amazon Prime user, I would love to be your $4.95 a month sub. Um, if you think you're subscribed to this channel, go double check because Twitch automatically shuts off subscription. It doesn't automatically renew subscriptions, I should say. So you may, be may have subscribed in the past and then forgotten about it and now you're unsubscribed. So uh, please double check that, make sure. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, comment, share the video, spread, spread the word. And definitely check out the audio podcasts. They're up now. Like I said, all the season one's up. I'm going to try to get season two up before I leave for Gen Con. Um, everything for Extreme Drawis, the other D&D uh, show I run, is online now. Uh, you can definitely get them at anchor.fm. And if you look, I think it's pretty much everywhere now that podcasts. We haven't gotten accepted to iTunes yet, but I'm fairly certain that it will be soon. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to Gen Con, come find me. I'll be in Artist Alley. Uh, looking like this. If you don't, uh, if you're not watching the video, shoot me a tweet and say, "Hey, what table are you at?" I, I will have it. I, Dave told me what table we're at, but I didn't write it down. It's I have to look through a message. I've spent enough time. I've wasted enough of you guys' day looking through browsers. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you all have an awesome, awesome time, and I hope to see most of you at Gen Con. So, uh, take care, stay out of trouble, be good to yourselves and each other.